0: Welcome to the very first episode of our new educational podcast series, HCS, Helping Children Succeed. My name is Dr. Michael Gray, and I'm the headmaster of Hereford Cathedral School. Each episode, I'm going to be joined by a special guest, and we're going to talk through various topics which relate to education, parenting, and helping children and adolescents to succeed in life. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined in the studio today by Joe Ansbro as we talk about rugby, race and resilience. Joe, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Very pleased to be here.
0: So Joe, you've obviously played international rugby for Scotland. You've represented your country at the very highest level in the Six Nations, in the Rugby World Cup in 2011 and I believe you even scored a try in your World Cup debut. Was playing rugby something that you always wanted to do? It was a
1: dream for sure, uh, but not one that I expected to turn into a reality. I think nowadays um, for students playing rugby at school the pathways are clearer, um, professional clubs have a much better idea of what they need and where to find it and there's huge amounts of data on players in the academy pathways at school, it, it wasn't as straightforward when I played, but certainly it was a dream to try and play at that top level.
0: So, how did you kind of get into that that level, as it were? How did you how did your pathway go to that national level?
1: It was it was interesting. Certainly, once you get to about sixteen years old, there was divisional, county rugby, and uh, age group, so similar to the setup now in that regard. Not so much academy rugby, but I still remember one of my first conversations with one of the selectors. There was about 40 of us in the room and it was an England training camp. And he said, you know, one of you will become a professional rugby player. So, you know, in my mind, it was it was unlikely that that was ever going to happen to me. I was going to be that one. By the time I was at university, there were probably 15 to 20 of those people in the room playing professional rugby. So I just kind of scratched my head and thought, hang on a minute, um, that wasn't quite how things were laid out when we were younger. So that certainly gave me a lot of confidence to perhaps pursue it after university. But certainly my mindset leaving school was it's very difficult to do this. You have to be very, very fortunate and work very, very hard. And actually, there's lots of things I'd like to do in life, not necessarily just rugby. So I moved on to university fully expecting not to go into professional sports.
0: It sounds like you had a great dose of realism, of pragmatism, but also... Confidence and and, and self belief is that fair to say? Do you think? Absolutely, and and obviously lots of
1: different anchors in my life that helped me um, you know, stay grounded, shall we say? Um, family are very important, but also my school experiences and being at, at, at the school that I was at. Uh, you know, we were exposed to lots of different um, competing interests, uh, you know, academics drama, art, music and, and obviously my favourite was sport at the time alongside the academics so we weren't siloed so to speak f- from an early age we were told to keep as many doors open as possible
0: just in case. That sounds really wise advice and having that breadth of opportunity clearly was important for you both then and presumably set you up very well in terms of giving you that range of options today. Yeah, absolutely
1: um, yeah, When I when I did retire 26 years old uh, there were elements that I was apprehensive about but I was also quite excited to see what could be next and I felt very fortunate to be in that position I know it's not the same for everyone it's particularly in rugby the, the way rugby works these days and, and, and players going in quite a bit younger perhaps without university education you know I certainly was excited about starting a new career and yeah I, I appreciate it. that was that was partly to do with the way I was educated at school and the way I was brought up so I was very grateful for that.
0: Let's just go back for a moment if we may and think about performing in front of crowds of tens of thousands of people. What is it like performing at the highest level? I've got no experience of playing international sport or or performing in front of, of thousands of people, and I suspect many of our listeners haven't either. What does it feel like when you're there in the tunnel, when you're there in the changing room, you can hear the roar of the crowd, you're about to go and represent your country? It must be absolutely extraordinary.
1: Yeah, I think uh, yeah, different players react differently to that first occasion when it's a full house and you're looking at you know, 40, 50, 80, 90,000 spectators. Um, you know, I, I was very lucky at school to play Um, age-grade international rugby. And I think we were down somewhere in the south of France. It was an England-France game and maybe only 10,000 supporters, but it it was very noisy. I I found it energising at the time. Uh, Once you become professional, and obviously it's your job, it's a bit different. You definitely adapt to that noise. And there are lots of different uh, strategies I used as a player to help handle that pressure. I think at international level, it's much tougher because you, you're, you're talking about a whole nation backing you and wanting you to do well. And obviously the Six Nations is a good example. There's some pretty intense rivalries there. So it does take a little bit of a mental gymnastics to make sure you can perform and the noise of the crowd doesn't perhaps... Um, you off your game, so to speak. It's very good to be very energetic in certain parts of rugby, particularly when you don't have the ball in your hands, running around and making tackles and hitting breakdowns, but you need to be quite composed as well at times. And certainly um, an experience that I had at university playing in a varsity match helped me prepare for international rugby because it was one game across the whole year where maybe 40,000 people were watching and it, it seemed to matter a lot to everyone at the time. And having that the pressure that comes with only having one opportunity to play in a whole year was unique in many ways. And compared to professional rugby, I knew that, and you know, as a player, if you, if you don't have a great game one week, there's always another game and then another game and then another game. And it works both ways. If you have a really good game, you don't get too overconfident because then you've got to go and prove yourself again. And I think that definitely helps handling the pressure. If you know you can do it again, it's not just a one-off opportunity.
0: Applying that for our listeners and, and for each of us, thinking about different contexts and scenarios in which we might be working and operating, thinking about those occasions where it might be a one-off experience, perhaps an interview context, or perhaps an occasion where there's there's not necessarily the chance to repeat that exact environment. Mm-hmm. How do you think we can each learn and how can we apply some of those principles in terms of how do we handle pressure? How do we achieve the optimum level of of nervousness, which helps us to to perform to the best of our ability without those nerves crippling us and hindering our performance? Yeah, it's a good question.
1: And yeah, I'm lucky that I, I, I learned that on the field and I can apply it to, I think it's very transferable, the lessons that I've learned. And the main points would be, obviously embrace the pressure you are there for a reason it's because you're good enough and i certainly helped myself by focusing on what i did very well Uh, whatever context that is there's something that you're going to do very well you have some key strengths Uh, with that there is the behind the scenes elements your training where you can focus on things that you need to improve on and you work really hard to do that and that's where the pressure kicks in and that's when it's useful because come the interview or come the game there's also an element of maturity that that's required to accept that you can't control everything there's a lot of things particularly in a game of rugby with 30 people and a referee and a crowd that you won't be able to control and so accept you have to focus on your strengths and what you do well
0: and in education as you know we often talk about failing well those occasions where perhaps we don't achieve what we hoped to achieve or where we felt disappointed with an outcome I'm sure in your sporting experiences, there might've been those occasions perhaps where you felt you didn't play as well as you might've hoped, or the result didn't go the way that you, you might've imagined. How did you bounce back in those instances?
1: Well, the, the nature of professional sports, certainly rugby is you, you don't have a choice. You know, you, you, the next day at 6am, you're probably doing a pool session, recovering and you, you do a quick debrief. Um, and then you're previewing, doing analysis on the next team you're going to play those disappointments and i'm afraid to say that i did have a disappointment in the world cup yeah they do linger a little bit longer but again it's a four-year build very similar to olympic cycles where you can try and take the key lessons and try and build another key factor is you're not on your own i guess that's probably one of the big differences with some of the olympic disciplines it's a team sport so you've got a group of people in the room who've experience the same things that you have um, they're a really good sounding board some players will be more experienced and have done it before and they' bounce back and so having that support group built in and, and that's what I that's what I love about team sports whatever the sport you know you've, you've got lots of like-minded individuals working towards a common goal that definitely helps and then of course from an education perspective it's it's those the coaches the teachers and their ability to help you contextualize
0: a disappointment. You're listening to Hereford Cathedral School's podcast, HCS, helping children succeed. Joe, you were the first black man to play Test Rugby Union for Scotland, weren't you? And to what extent at the time were you conscious that you must have been an inspiration to so many young black sportsmen and women. I, just, I very much uh, zoned
1: out of that whole debate at the time. Um, uh, well, it wasn't much of a debate, but just perhaps some of the hype surrounding the, the news. Um, I, I was fully focused on my performance. It was the biggest game of my life and I didn't want anything else to distract from it. And you know, looking back, obviously, of course, I, I see the importance now. Um, at the time, my behaviour was very much performance-motivated. I didn't want any distractions. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you get very good at compartmentalising and blocking things out. Nowadays, it is important. I, I understand that and I appreciate it. And there's conversations I've had with you know, occasional Scotland fans when I've been back up in Scotland to see family. Um, you realise that actually seeing people who look like you or come from where you come from, doing something that you would really want to do is important to to normalize the whole process and you know ideally drive up participation so it kind of feeds back you start to see people doing it you start to think you can do it and maybe you try a bit harder or you feel more confident to to participate and then hopefully in time there are more and more people from different backgrounds playing
0: playing our sport indeed so it seems that in many ways it was after the event it's taken a few years maybe for the magnitude of your achievement to, to really settle in and to sink in and to reflect upon the way that you have maybe opened up doors and put, pushed down barriers to opportunity for other young people?
1: Yeah, perhaps. And certainly what's been going on in the last two years um, has made everyone reflect a lot more. On participation and representation you know there's, there's good there's good press and bad press i know it's not everyone's cup of tea but it is important and i, I there's a really simple example when i was in the lower sixth year at school and uh, something like oxbridge wasn't on the radar at all for me um academically i'd done fine but i just didn't know anything about those places um you know, I, i'm sorry to say i kind of thought they were both in london um just areas of london oxford and, Cambridge. and uh, and then I looked at a prospectus, and there was someone who looked quite a lot like me smiling on the front of an Oxbridge perspective. And straight away, I, for whatever reason, you know, some kind of innate drive, I thought, oh, okay, he looks like he's having a good time. Maybe I should look at that university. And, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a relatively crass example, but a young black rugby player watching international rugby today. I think it's really, really important that you can see people that you identify with. And we see it in football, um, in in England in particular. Um, And we see it a lot in rugby in France, where club rugby is really strong. So anyone can turn up and play because there's lots of funding in club rugby. But I think we're still a little bit behind the curve in
0: um, England and Scotland, the two kind of unions that I'm familiar with anyway. And in terms of the rugby, you obviously had a a, a life-changing injury in 2012, and that must have been unimaginably difficult. But you, you, you bounced back from that in terms of moving on to an, a new career, a new set of opportunities. What, what did you learn about yourself during that process? Because it's hard, for, I think, for any of us who haven't gone through that to really try and understand just how impactful and, and difficult a time that must have been. I think the most important thing I learned is I, I do have a limit
1: in terms of self-preservation uh, I had a blatant disregard to self presence I think most rugby players kind of need to have that to play the game and there's perhaps a hope or an expectation that a serious injury will never happen to you, which is why you, you play with so much freedom. Um, and so I, I learned pretty quickly that yeah, that, that was a broken neck is probably enough to call it a day. So yeah, that, that was quite important. I also I guess I already knew this, but I, I I learned how much I enjoyed being at home with family. It was a huge antidote to any ill feeling or misery about being injured and ending my career was I finally got to spend six uninterrupted months at home in South West Scotland with all my family, which was, it was a big upside. Certainly in sport, you know, it's, it's very antisocial. When you have a brief holiday, everyone else is working and Boxing Day New Year's day they're gone you're playing you're on TV so having that break was really nice and it certainly in terms of you know my recovery and um, being able to to kind of to crack on and, and enjoy starting a new career having a good support network was really really important uh, friends family teammates opposition players physios doctors nurses they, they were all there for me when I needed them and uh, you know, I consider myself very, very fortunate that I had that
0: network. It sounds like you've put a big emphasis on, on gratitude and being able to count our blessings and, and value the things that, that really matter, our families, our friends, the people around us. And it's so easy, I think, isn't it, at all times of our life to sometimes take those people for granted and not perhaps to to stop, to pause, to focus, and reflect upon how important they are and what a big impact and contribution they make to our lives. Yeah, absolutely. I think that
1: gratitude
0: was was
1: partnered with just perspective um, as well. I mean, I I was in ICU for a week in uh, Cork University Hospital and I was on my back for two days. But even on my back, just looking at the ceiling, uh, I was well aware that I was going to be the only patient leaving that hospital to go on and live a relatively normal life. It, it it was a bad injury, but it could have been so much worse and I was still able to run around and try and play football after my recovery so um yeah that 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 was important as well
0: you know that make that makes perfect sense and it, it it's sobering uh, to think about that isn't it? thinking then about your career subsequently you went into teaching and you're obviously tremendously successful at that tell us a little bit about your thought process in terms of going into teaching some of the things that you've learned and reflected upon during that educational journey?
1: Yeah, well, I, in terms of my thought process, it's definitely, I, I really enjoyed school. Um, I really enjoyed the balance of all the different competing interests I've mentioned before. Um, you know, I certainly, my enjoyment to school would probably helped by the fact that I had a, older siblings who were quite close in age at the same school for most of my education. And, so the the idea of going back to teach was never too far away. I probably didn't think I'd go back as soon as I did. So I'd hoped to have played a bit more sport and there were other careers and sectors I would have maybe looked to work in. But I remember so many teachers whose lessons I, I enjoyed so much. It's a good indicator of how good your teacher is if you have students who then go on to become teachers, perhaps, maybe, maybe not, or maybe you should be sending them into the financial sector. I'm not sure anymore, but, uh, I, I, you know I, I looked at my teachers with, with a huge amount of respect and I feel like I was very fortunate to have that experience at the two schools that I went to. In terms of teaching career today yeah I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone. i someone who likes school who then worked in a predominantly male rugby environment. Uh, it's an all-boys school and they play lots of sport and it's very academic and there's lots of singing and drama and yeah, it's, it's not surprising that I'm enjoying myself there. I think as an educator, I, I will have to move and work in a slightly different schools to, to challenge myself more. I think I'm almost ready for that stage to try different, you know, perhaps co-educational, perhaps non-boarding. I, I really enjoy that balance of eight, six to seven years of rugby every day. It's nice to now have different stimuli and it's certainly, um, you know, I'm under pressure. It, it's not an easy job. But there's a huge amount of enjoyment to be had, um, and I don't find it particularly stressful. Certainly, compared to catching high
0: balls in front of eighty thousand people, it, it's not too bad. Exactly, it, it puts it in perspective, doesn't it? I think that's absolutely true, and that the best education, of course, is one which is holistic, which offers breadth of opportunity, and it's great that you can you can teach biology in the classroom you can do your rugby you can do all sorts of different things within within your educational context and within your job yeah
1: absolutely um i i think it's very difficult to to move away from that um i think it's one of the hardest things today is the pressure to to, to be productive and to to, to work you know, a lot of desk-bound jobs these days and you know a lot of my contemporaries at school are in those careers where they don't have that balance um you know it gradually starts to slip away perhaps at university they maintain some of it and then as they gradually become more and more siloed towards a particular niche it kind of descends into that desk-bound 80-hour weeks and i feel very fortunate that i i am able to to move around in my job <laughs> to communicate a
0: lot and to try different things and in terms of young people, perhaps listening to this podcast, what advice would you give to them as they reflect upon what career paths and opportunities to take, given your background, your experiences, the different types of careers that you've had?
1: I think in terms of how school prepared me, looking back in all the, the various jobs that I have perhaps looked at or applied for and where I've had success and where I haven't had success, I think probably the most important element is I particularly found pertinent in my education, where I, you know, I was in a boarding environment for a period of time, where you have very, very long days with people. I think it's so important that you learn how to get on with people. Certainly, when I grew up, you know, there weren't many opportunities to escape. Um, you know, you were kind of we were kind of penned into school for long periods of time, so you have to work really hard to build rapport with someone uh, that you wouldn't necessarily always get on with, and. I think, you know, tension and conflict that they're, they're perhaps a part of school for some people, unfortunately, but they're not a huge amount of fun when you're in the same building with someone for a long period of time. And certainly being able to build rapport with people is something that I've found has provided me with an edge um, in previous jobs. And of course, in, in the classroom, I think it's really, really important.
0: Yeah, relationships so often are at the very heart of what we do, aren't they? And and so And so, and so crucial in that regard. So, Joe, this, this podcast series, it's about helping children to succeed. And thinking about that theme, what would be your key message to our listeners, perhaps parents, perhaps educators, perhaps young people to help them to achieve the very best in their lives? Yeah, my message
1: would be whoever you are, work hard to build bridges with people. I don't think it always goes to plan and it can take a really long time, but even when you succeed, I believe it makes everyone's life a bit easier or a lot easier. And that applies to when times are good. And I think it applies to particularly when times are
0: bad because you have that support network that you've worked hard to foster. Joe, it has been fantastic having you in the studio with us today. Thank you so much for having taken the time to talk these things through, answering these questions, having these conversations. It's been really heartening to, to speak with you and to hear your insight and your wisdom. So, thank you so much indeed. No problem. Thank you, Michael. Cheers. This podcast, Helping Children Succeed, is brought to you by Hereford Cathedral School. For more details, please visit our website, herefordcs.com.